This is The Way We're Built, a Vespucci story written by Alex Mayasi and narrated by me, Nesba Crenshaw. It all started when a woman at a Christmas party told Tim Bennett that she worked with Martina Navratilova. Bennett had heard of Navratilova. Who hadn't? The tennis star had dominated her sport for almost two decades. By the early 90s, many fans considered her the greatest women's tennis player of all time. Navratilova was gay, and so was the woman at the Christmas party. Together, they had created something called the Rainbow Card. It was a credit card that supported gay causes. People who used it wouldn't receive cash back or airline miles. Instead, that money would be donated to initiatives like HIV-AIDS research. Now, they wanted to find a car company to sponsor the card. They had talked to auto executives. Some seemed interested. But in the end, they always said no. Bennett thought he might be able to help. He worked in marketing at Subaru, the Japanese car company, and thought Navratilova was pretty rad. He said he'd pitch his boss on Monday. But after the party, he felt nervous. His boss was a right-wing evangelist, not someone who practiced and preached tolerance. He homeschooled his kids because he disagreed with public school textbooks. That's just one of the many reasons why Bennett was closeted at work, why he told almost no one at Subaru that he was gay. So later that week, Bennett called another Tim, Tim Mahoney. Mahoney worked higher up in marketing at Subaru. Bennett chose him almost at random. He was looking at a company directory, and a co-worker suggested calling him because they had the same first name. When Mahoney got on the line, Bennett started talking about Navratilova and the rainbow card. The phone was silent. Then he heard Mahoney laughing. You have no idea, Mahoney said. This couldn't have come at a better time. A few months earlier, Mahoney had bought his dad a 1993 Subaru sedan. It was brand new, but it came off the lot filthy. He had to drive it straight to a car wash. As the hoses went to work, mud and grime dripped down the sides. God, Mahoney thought, this car is ugly. The press described Subarus as sturdy but drab, and they weren't selling well. Across the United States, thousands of Subarus were stuck in dealership parking lots. By the time someone bought a car, it was usually covered in dirt, like the one Mahoney had just bought for his dad. He'd even heard of new Subarus parked on the lot so long that weeds were growing up through the engine. As a marketing man, it was Mahoney's job to fix all that, to sell Subaru's sturdy but drab cars. The stakes were high. Someone in finance recently showed him that Subaru of America was losing $100 a minute. The corporate leadership in Japan was growing impatient with the American executives they'd hired in the United States, executives like him. But Mahoney was excited about a new strategy they'd been developing. Subaru was a small car company, and they decided to stop competing directly with giants like Honda and Ford. They couldn't be mainstream. Instead, they'd find a niche. So they made a decision. 
Subaru would only sell all-wheel drive cars. It was a risky choice. It meant discontinuing front-wheel drive cars, which represented more than 40% of their sales. But the all-wheel drive cars made the company more money, and Subaru would have a clear identity as the maker of dependable, rugged, all-wheel drive automobiles. As one of the guys in charge of marketing strategy, Mahoney identified four niche groups to target. Nurses and doctors who needed to drive to the hospital even during snowstorms, outdoorsy people who skied and camped and kayaked, teachers who appreciated reliability and affordability, and IT professionals and engineers who admired Subaru's symmetrical all-wheel drive. But then, during a trip to San Francisco, Mahoney discovered a fifth niche. And that discovery would change American advertising. The San Francisco focus group looked the same as hundreds Mahoney had observed during a decade in advertising. He snacked on pretzels and M&Ms while looking through one-way glass at seven people seated around a long table answering questions posed by a marketer. All seven owned Subarus. Many were young, single women. The questions were about why they chose to buy the car. Behind the glass, a guy on the research team leaned over to Mahoney and said conspiratorially, Everyone I know who drives a Subaru is a lesbian. It was like he'd adjusted a lens, bringing the women behind the glass into focus for the first time. Holy shit, Mahoney thought. He remembered all the recent focus groups in Capitol Hill in Seattle, in Northampton in Massachusetts. So many of the customers were women. He never asked about their sexuality. Now he realized that assembling a group of people who loved Subaru often meant filling a room with lesbians. When he got back to company headquarters in New Jersey, he huddled with his research manager. They had all sorts of statistics and interviews about skiers and nurses, but they knew nothing about their lesbian customers. After poking around, they discovered a small young ad agency that said it specialized in marketing to gay customers, Mulryan Nash. He gave them a call and asked the agency's co-founder, John Nash, to start doing some research. Was it true that lesbians loved Subarus? And how big of a deal was this? Good statistics on the size of the gay population and their spending habits were hard to come by. Mahoney had no idea if lesbian women represented thousands of potential customers or millions. Nash got to work. He shared statistics and organized focus groups, this time inviting lesbian women on purpose. Sure enough, Nash found that Subarus were extremely popular in neighborhoods and towns with large gay populations, like the Castro in San Francisco and Provincetown in Massachusetts. And the best surveys suggested that one in 10 Americans was gay. That's when Mahoney got the phone call about the rainbow card from the other Tim at Subaru. Mahoney told Nash about the card and said a Subaru employee named Tim Bennett had suggested the idea. Nash asked him to repeat the name. Tim Bennett? You're never going to believe this, Nash said. But he'd gone to high school with that guy. They'd been friends for years. He remembered when Bennett had a wonderful girlfriend and when he switched to seeing men. It felt like fate. Or maybe a comedy routine. Either way, the puzzle pieces were coming together. 
Mahoney, Bennett, and Nash were going to make ads for lesbian women. John Nash was rolling quarters again. It was something he and his co-founder did regularly. They gathered all the change they could find in their apartments and brought it into the Mulryan Nash office. Once they organized all the change, one of them would go to the bank and come back with a few hundred bucks that would keep their little agency running for two more weeks. Nash was gay. So was his co-founder. They'd left their jobs to start their own ad agency because they knew that gay people were a huge group of consumers being ignored. And they believed that gay people would gladly pay attention to the marketing of any company that just acknowledged their existence. That was the agency's pitch. But it had yet to bring in many clients. In the early 90s, corporate America ignored queer people. If you put gay people in your ads, customers would organize boycotts. Megachurch preachers would denounce you. Bigots might even call in bomb threats on your stores. At one meeting, Nash pitched a room of finance executives on the merits of ads targeted at gay people. He was in a boardroom in a suit and tie. It was going well. Until one executive interrupted and asked the room what they thought about making ads for men who have sex with men and women who have sex with women. The room went quiet. The mood changed from conversational to awkward, faster than a car darting across traffic. Nash made a joke about how they were already making ads for men who have sex with women, so ads for men who have sex with men didn't seem like a huge jump. He got a few laughs. Then the chairman said they could move on. The next week, someone at the company called to politely thank Nash for his time and say they were taking a pause. He never heard from them again. The rejections stung. It was normal in advertising not to get every deal, but these companies were rejecting more than his business. They were rejecting his lifestyle, his identity, his relationship with his boyfriend. But still, he kept trying. His agency sent companies a document they made called Reaching the Gay Market. It was full of research and demographic data that pointed out just how many Americans were gay or lesbian. Executives were intrigued by the number of couples with dual incomes and no kids. They were intrigued by the data on how plenty of gay people lived in the suburbs, too. And they responded well to research, suggesting that surveys of America's gay population were underestimates, since so many queer people remained closeted. Still, the only companies that risked appealing directly to the demographic were generally in sinful industries, like alcohol. Nash had sent the document to Subaru. Every ad agency dreamed of landing a car company or airline, and Subaru had a reputation for having liberal customers. Subaru was crunchy granola, the Ben and Jerry's of car companies. But he never got a reply. Nash knew his old friend, Tim Bennett, worked in marketing at Subaru. They'd met in high school when they were paired up to dissect a frog. Nash was the nerd who went to study hall instead of taking gym. Bennett was the jock. Together, they were competing to finish dissecting their frog first, and without mistakes. So, while Nash diligently tweezed and pinned, Bennett gave the other teams bad advice. They won. 
and became friends. After college, Nash moved to New York, where he slowly discovered the gay scene, the bars, restaurants, and clubs where it was safe to be yourself. He learned the subtle art of the three-second check, turning around three seconds after passing a guy you suspect is gay to see if he turns around too. But Bennett, the jock who could navigate sharp-elbowed competition, had gone to Subaru's corporate offices, which were not a safe space. The customers might be liberal, but the executives told the staff to vote for the party that started with an R. Nash knew Bennett was closeted at work. So even though Nash dreamed of landing a car company and no longer needing to roll quarters, he never asked Bennett to suggest gay advertising at Subaru. He didn't want to out him. So when Subaru finally called, Nash and his colleagues at the agency worked long nights. They knew people were skeptical of a gay agency. They had to be incredibly professional, 100% on top of their game. And they had to connect with each client to create contact points and similarities so they weren't just gay men, but human beings who also loved dogs and had cute nieces. They meticulously built the business case for Subaru to advertise to lesbian women. The size of the opportunity and the brand loyalty among current lesbian customers. And they waited to find out if they'd have a moment like Nash standing in that boardroom with the finance executives. The moment when someone bigoted or just afraid of backlash would kill the project with a single comment. Tim Bennett was milling outside a conference room in Subaru of America's New Jersey headquarters. He was with another closeted employee, a member of what Bennett called the company's gay underground. They were trying to overhear the meeting inside, where Mahoney was telling Japanese executives for the first time about their plans to create ads for lesbian women. But they couldn't hear a thing. For months, Bennett had strategized with Mahoney and Nash on the campaign. He'd moved to a new marketing role that involved these niche campaigns. He wasn't sure what the Japanese managers would think of their fifth niche. When the meeting ended, Mahoney came out with a big Cheshire Cat grin. He saw Bennett, then laughed. He'd told the Japanese executives that they were going to do gay advertising. With no further details. The executives' English wasn't fluent. They flipped through little Japanese-English dictionaries during the meeting. As far as Mahoney could tell, they looked up gay, saw happy and lighthearted, and nodded approvingly. He didn't clarify, and decided that was approval enough to make the ads and sponsor Martina Navratilova's rainbow card. It wasn't long before the Japanese leadership learned the truth. Bennett got a call from a Japanese counterpart who had learned about the planned campaign. He said that his fellow managers didn't like the idea. He compared working with Navratilova to working with Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer, the one who ate his victims. Bennett knew then that he could never come out at Subaru. The campaign would not change that. It was frustrating because he loved his job. But he'd heard jokes and insults in the hallway about the rare Subaru executive who was gay. He knew that if people learned he was gay, this campaign would seem like his personal agenda, not a savvy business move. 
Japanese management wouldn't kill the campaign, but Bennett's counterpart told him to be discreet, careful, confine awareness of the campaign to gay communities and publications. Subaru would cancel the campaign if it threatened their mainstream sales and marketing. So that was the assignment. They needed to make ads for lesbian women without too many people noticing that they were making ads for lesbian women. Nash was thrilled. His fledgling agency had a dream client, a car company, a huge client that could validate his belief that gay marketing could succeed at the highest level and that companies could speak to people like him and his boyfriend. At the same time, he was nervous. He knew they'd be held to a completely different standard than a normal agency. Any mistake would be an excuse to cancel the campaign. Nash and his agency were actually making the ads, putting together images of women and Subaru's cars with slogans and logos. But Bennett knew there was something they needed to do before they placed any of those ads on the pages of gay magazines. Subaru's marketers had learned that when they advertised to subcultures, they had to show they cared about more than those people's dollars, that the ads weren't just a cash grab, that Subaru shared a real affinity with them. When Subaru advertised to skiers, they sponsored professional skiers and donated money to environmental causes. Subaru was sponsoring Navratilova's rainbow card. But inside the company, gay people didn't enjoy the same benefits as straight people. Employees could borrow company cars for family members, but to borrow one for his boyfriend, Bennett had to tell the attendant it was for his brother-in-law. At the time, Navratilova was pushing Bennett and his colleagues to offer domestic partnership benefits. That way, gay employees could get benefits that straight couples enjoyed, like putting their partners on their Subaru health insurance. Bennett knew she was right. He didn't do it for himself or his boyfriend, though. His personal life was separate from his career. That was how he navigated corporate life. It was just what the campaign needed next, a sign that Subaru supported its gay employees. Not a single car company in America offered benefits for same-sex couples. Bennett needed the help of human resources to pitch management on the change. Until recently, working with the head of HR would have been extremely uncomfortable. Once, when he canceled a meeting because he was sick, she asked him if he had AIDS. Luckily, she'd been fired, and the new HR guy was gay. They planned an hour-long presentation for a big meeting with senior management who flew in from Japan. The head of Subaru was late, and Bennett squirmed in his chair, rethinking the presentation. This was the same management team that compared working with Navratilova to sponsoring Jeffrey Dahmer. Would they go for it? He imagined launching the campaign without the benefits. He pictured headlines of gay activists calling him and Subaru hypocrites. That would be the end of the campaign. The president arrived. Bennett was about to begin. But before he even started, the president interrupted. He'd seen the issue of domestic partnership benefits on the agenda. He didn't mean to be rude, but he didn't need a presentation. He'd worked for Subaru in Canada for years, where they had those benefits. It was fine to do that. Just like that, 
the press team announced that Subaru was offering same-sex benefits. No one liked the ads. Because they were running in gay magazines and publications, the budgets were small, so Nash's team was using photos and assets Subaru already possessed. They'd taken stock art of two women who looked like a couple, put them next to a Subaru, and added text. With the ads up on easels in conference rooms, Nash listened to Subaru's conservative executives' stress about so obviously having lesbians in the ads. Could the two women be on opposite pages of the ad, separated by the ad copy? Meanwhile, at focus groups behind the one-way glass, Nash listened to Subaru's liberal customers complain, Where was the interracial couple? Where was the trans person? The women looked too butch. The women looked too straight. Nash decided to just take people out of the ads altogether. And that constraint led to a eureka moment. Nash and his copywriters couldn't use words like gay and lesbian, and they couldn't show lesbian couples. So they got clever. They wrote ad copy with double meanings like, it's not a choice, it's the way we're built, which referred to Subaru only offering all-wheel drive, and to gay people saying, we were born this way. The photos had winks and nods as well. A car with two women's bikes on a bike rack, a rainbow bumper sticker, a coded license plate like P-Townie, which was a shout-out to Provincetown, a popular gay vacation spot. When Nash pitched Subaru on new work, Bennett was always one of the executives he needed to impress. Bennett was an old friend, but that didn't mean he received special treatment. Bennett would sit quietly then ask pointed questions about slide six or that second ad treatment. One time, Bennett called as Nash was driving back from Subaru HQ. Holding his giant cell phone, Nash listened as Bennett asked about the work he'd just presented. Did Nash believe it was his best work? Nash replied, It was maybe a B? It felt like letting down an older brother. But Mahoney and Bennett liked the new ads. So did the rest of the Subaru marketers. They thought they were fun. During one brainstorm, Bennett even came up with the it's not a choice, it's the way we're built line. Subaru's first ads targeting lesbian women ran in gay publications. But Subaru management felt comfortable placing the new coded ads more prominently. During a trip to run focus groups in San Francisco, John Nash spotted one in the wild. He was in the Castro, a gay neighborhood, waiting for a trolley. As he waited, the crowd of commuters got larger. Some, like him, were in conservative suits. But his gaydar told him that two of the men nearby were a couple. The streetcar arrived, and it had one of the Subaru ads on the side. Different drivers, different roads, one car. The gay guys looked at it, smiled and laughed. They'd seen the rainbow sticker on the car and figured out what the tagline meant, that different meant gay. But the conservative suits didn't react. Touchdown, Nash thought. It worked perfectly. The gay couple understood the ad and enjoyed it. 
and the street people thought they'd just seen a generic car ad. Nash and Bennett had found a way to make ads for a car company that acknowledged lesbian customers, that celebrated aspects of their lives. That had seemed impossible not long ago. Nash realized that their ads were, in a way, closeted, just as much as Tim Bennett had to be at Subaru. Executives were clear that they didn't want their embrace of gay customers broadcast full blast. One time, Nash hired someone who went off script and told a reporter that he called Subaru's cars Lesbaru's. Bennett was summoned by Subaru's irate leadership, and Nash had to fire the guy. At the same time, they had launched the campaign at the Rainbow Room in Rockefeller Center, where they invited the press to photograph Subaru executives hanging out with Martina Navratilova and lesbian activists, one group in navy suits and the other in purple. And gay people loved the wink-wink ads. Nash thought he knew why. Uncoding the ads. It felt like being gay. Like how discovering the New York gay scene felt like looking at the city through a decoder ring. Like how only gay men knew about the three-second check. But he did wish they could use Navratilova in the ads. Their coded ads were niche. But making Navratilova the face of Subaru... That would be mainstream. That would be huge. Even before she came out as gay, Navratilova stuck out in the world of women's tennis. Her main rival, Chris Evert, looked and acted like a female tennis star was supposed to. Blonde and pretty. Fans loved the fashionable dresses she wore on the court. And at 25, she married a male tennis player. Navratilova tended to dress less feminine and more butch. She often wore shorts on the court. And she was notably single in public. Until she revealed that she was in a relationship with a well-known feminist writer and activist. From then on, companies stopped asking her to appear in their commercials. Tim Bennett stuck out at Subaru in a similar way. He wore the same conservative suits as everyone else... But as his peers got married and moved to the suburbs, he stayed single and in the city. He was the city guy. He also had a nickname among his Japanese counterparts. They called him Mondaiji, which meant problem child, because Bennett wasn't shy about disagreeing with decisions, like when he advocated for Subaru to replace their sleek showrooms with displays focused on skiing and outdoor adventure. But Subaru had Japan's corporate culture, which favored uniformity over disagreement. Bennett knew there was a popular Japanese idiom about that culture. The nail that sticks out gets hammered down. He worried about being hammered down. Unfortunately, he kept having to stick out. Within Subaru, he and Mahoney constantly had to fight to keep other executives from killing the campaign. It would have been easy to give in. The only group that paid as much attention to the ads as gay people were anti-gay activists. Once bigoted people heard about Navratilova and the rainbow card, and all these secret, coded ads, religious groups denounced the campaign. People sent hate mail saying they'd never buy a Subaru again. Bennett wasn't allowed to open his own mail anymore. At the time, abortion clinics were being bombed, so someone checked all his mail, especially any packages. 
the team developed subtle ways of defending the campaign. When a hostile Subaru executive was slated to attend a meeting about extending the campaign, Bennett tipped off Nash, saying, You didn't hear it from me. Nash would prep extra hard and come ready to recite demographic data to ward off any objection. Even when Nash wasn't around, Bennett and Mahoney got used to parrying attacks. They pointed out the success of the niche strategy with nurses and kayakers. Before long, they had proof that the lesbian ads were working too. They could see the number of cars bought with rainbow cards. Sales were up, not down. And as a finishing touch, Mahoney liked to bring out his favorite piece of hate mail. A man had written that he'd never buy another Subaru. But the return address was a prison. It made Mahoney's point with a flourish. The people sending hate mail and threatening boycotts weren't actually Subaru customers. With leadership largely in agreement that the backlash wasn't hurting sales, they felt they could be bolder. They made ads that weren't coded, but proudly out. One TV spot showed Subaru cars driving around a highway. At the end, the camera zoomed out to show the cars on the on and off ramps. They formed interlocking female symbols. When they debuted the ad at a conference on gay issues in the workplace, the crowd cheered and clapped wildly. And finally, they made Navratilova the official face of Subaru. Technically, she was just one of three female athletes in a campaign focused on women, not lesbians. But she was featured most prominently, and the ads played on television nationwide. The New York Times' media critic wrote about the campaign and interviewed Bennett for it. What made you use a lesbian to launch this car? He asked. Bennett just said, she's a great tennis player. For 10 minutes, the critic kept asking about her being a lesbian, and Bennett kept to the company line that she was just part of a campaign about female athletes. People understood that it was no accident that Subaru's lead celebrity was lesbian. By now, the campaign was a triumph. Sales were up. It had supporters throughout the company, including the president of Subaru America. They'd been a crucial part of one of the greatest comebacks in corporate history. The campaign had smaller victories as well. From time to time, a Subaru employee would quietly come by Bennett's office and share that they were gay or that they had a family member who died from AIDS. They'd thank him. What he and Nash and Mahoney were doing meant a lot to them. Nash heard from customers, too. At one focus group, when he emerged from behind the one-way mirror, a woman asked if he was the gay art director. She was beautiful, young, wearing a leather jacket and carrying a motorcycle helmet. She thought his new ads were crap, but she thanked him and Subaru for all the others. She said it was amazing to see people like her represented in advertising. When Bennett first agreed to pitch the rainbow card to Subaru, the campaign had seemed like just a neat idea, a smart strategy for Subaru, even if it felt risky but now it seemed to be creating a larger legacy. He received an award from the Commercial Closet, now known as Gay and Lesbian Advocates and Defenders, or GLAD, for his groundbreaking gay and lesbian advertising. 
At the ceremony, they talked about how the campaign pioneered an approach for companies to acknowledge and market to gay and lesbian customers. That award was how his time at Subaru came to an end. Bennett knew that it was part of Japanese culture that one person should never take too much credit for an accomplishment, should never stand out. So he kept quiet about the award. But his boss found out and brought it up at a big meeting. The reaction was awkward. Bennett knew that he was done. He realized that he felt suffocated. He couldn't be himself. He wasn't accepted. He was the problem child and the city guy, the nail that stuck out. He quit a few weeks later. When he took his next job, he outed himself professionally. Not long after Bennett left Subaru, Nash closed his agency. The two high school friends decided to team up. Together, they did marketing work. They even managed to sign up a car company. Volkswagen wanted their help reaching LGBTQ customers. To help clients like Volkswagen, they placed ads on a gay satellite radio station. But they got to talking. Gay people on radio and TV always worked in fields like entertainment or activism. Even on this gay radio station, they rarely saw or heard from people like them. Suits who worked the corporate nine-to-five and just happened to be gay. The two of them often described their marketing work as storytelling. And friends said they had the rapport of radio hosts. So they pitched Sirius XM. Could the two of them host a show where they interviewed gay business leaders and talked about being gay in the workplace? It took months to convince the radio executives to let two advertising guys behind the mic and to workshop the show. Through it all, Bennett wasn't sure he'd go through with it. He kept interviewing with car companies for marketing jobs. Then a friend pointed out that people spend their whole lives trying to get on the radio, and he was being offered a national show with a close friend. Try it for six months, she said. So that's what Bennett decided to do. For years, he'd butted up against Subaru's conformist culture. He'd stayed closeted and built a firewall between his work life and his personal life. Now, he and Nash would be behind the mic. Bennett wouldn't hide that he was gay. The show would be based on his identity. And he and Nash would spotlight the work and lives of gay people in business. He'd give it six months. Who knew? Maybe it would grow into something big. Just like their plan for a little ad campaign at Subaru. You've been listening to Paperless, an audio magazine by Vespucci.